You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Together in Literacy podcast. This is episode five of season two. We are so grateful to all our listeners and all the support you give us. It just really, really cheers us up when we hear from you. We always like to start with reviews from our listeners. And we have one today from Yellow House 14. And this person said, these two competent, kind, and fun hosts seem to genuinely love tutoring and all things dyslexia. I have learned so much in the few episodes I have heard. Thank you. It is a gift and a pleasure to listen. Well, you know, if this person hadn't encapsulated it better, huh, Casey? I'm <laughs> telling you, we do love talking about all things dyslexia and working with our OG students, don't we? Really? Do. We do. Yeah. Yeah, we just had some great conversations even before we started recording. Yeah, and it is really a joy to just bounce ideas off and, and plan with Casey. It really is. So Casey, thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, it's, <laughs> one of the things that we were talking about is before the show got started was just kind of how our network works. And so while the world is really big, I feel like the conversation surrounding dyslexia and those of us who are in this little world of helping students with diagnosed or undiagnosed dyslexia is kind of small. And, and we're really hoping to open that up to more and more people through conversations on the podcast and, and in other avenues as well. But we all kind of know one another, which is, which is a fun, a fun thing. So we can always bounce ideas off of each other. And, and if you get us in a room, we are always talking about OG and dyslexia. So <laughs> lots of conversations. And and today we want to continue our conversation about helping older dyslexic students. So in episode four, Emily and I, we, when we started planning for this conversation about working with older students, we realized that we really needed to break this into two or possibly more episodes, um, just because there is so much for us to reflect upon and for us to really take into consideration when we're working with older students. So if you haven't caught episode four, you can certainly do so. And there we really just kind of broke down some of the things that we see in our older students, 
some of the areas that we notice are definitely needed to help them. And today we're really going to dive into some of the strategies and things like that, that we apply for our students. So when we're thinking about our older students, these are the kids that may have fallen through the cracks or may not have had intervention that was designed to match their specific needs. And so often when we're working with older students or we have older students sitting in our classrooms, we really assume that students at this age have synthesized all of this information, that they have, they've really become, maybe not yet masters, but they've really developed the skills to become proficient readers and writers. And we often see students that we work with in our private practices that have not yet mastered this, that are still struggling either with, you know, the reading component or the writing component. And we know that when our students have come together, really everything needs to be in place for them to have proficient reading and writing to be able to access and to be able to, to show what they know within the curriculum and the demands that are within their school setting at these upper grades. So with that said, we are going to kind of dive into some of the different strategies that we use with our older students. Yeah. And you know, uh, Casey brings up some great points here, but yeah, back in episode four, we were talking a lot about some of the common things that you might notice with your older students, some of the, the areas that they may still struggle with, like organization, even at the social emotional level, like some um, behaviors we might see and some of the things we want to really be mindful about, like helping them to become more reflective by maybe calling awareness to their metacognition and really thinking about any executive function issues they may have or attention, really looking at the things that our older students still need and benefit from. And Casey did make a really important point that we, when we work with older students, we take for granted for the fact that we think they have synthesized all of the things to come together to be able to be proficient readers and writers. And sadly for many of our students, that is not the case. Mm -hmm. And so speaking from, uh, from our own um, interventionist hats, we see these children that really haven't made those connections and can bridge over to being proficient readers and writers. So we want to really be thoughtful today about specifically with some word attack strategies, how that will impact their writing, also being mindful of language development. And that is why I think we're going to have to do a third episode. We will <laughs> get into a third episode that specifically will address the writing component. But yeah. we really felt like we wanted to do this episode justice by speaking specifically about word attack and with the ideas of both phonics, spelling, morphology, before we could get into the writing so that we're sort of laying this foundation for all of the listeners. So definitely listen to episode was four, right? Yes, four. <laughs> <laughs> My numbers get really mixed up. Sorry. And then, so this is episode five, and then we'll do another one. May come out right after this, but it may not. We've had a tiny bit of switch in our order, but we will be doing an episode on writing for older students. Okay. All right. So <laughs> let's get started. So uh, some of the things we want to be thinking about, yes. Our middle schoolers who are high schoolers or even beyond, even college students who have dyslexia really still may present with phonological deficit, okay? And that can, and because of that, that can play out in certain weaknesses that we see perhaps in their spelling 
or in uh, perhaps with their oral reading fluency when they're reading out loud to you. They really still struggle with reading fluently or their spelling may still look kind of, to put it bluntly, kind of atrocious. So, Mm -hmm. and these are really linked back to a couple of other things that I, I have to say we tend to forget. And there are two things. Child's working memory can be really impacted when we're talking about someone with dyslexia. And in in that, also their cognitive load. Are we really overloading too much information in order for them to be able to build mastery? Casey, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think sometimes when we talk about phonological awareness or phonological sensitivity as the um, IDA has kind of switched some terminology for us. When we're thinking about that, a lot of times we think about that with preschool students and our kinder and first grade students, because that's that developmentally um, appropriate age in which we're usually addressing those in our general classrooms. But if we remember that the definition of dyslexia is that our students are often impacted with a deficit in phonological area, then that that's usually an area that we still need to address even with our older students. And sometimes Mm -hmm. where I see that coming up, as Emily had said, with that working memory, perhaps some difficulty in recalling words, particularly once we move into multisyllabic words, I have a lot of students who you can almost like see that they have the words stuck on their tongue, but they just can't get it out of their mouths. And another thing that I see older students struggling with is when they will have verbal miscues where they will say a word or they're recalling a word and they're not pronouncing it correctly or they're they're substituting a word that sounds similar in their memory so that all is kind of you know again rooted in that phonological sensitivity does the student have that word in their phonological lexicon to be able to link it to the orthographic representation on the page and the meaning. And so all of these come into play. And I think when we're working with older students, that's why sometimes it can be kind of challenging. We have all these cascading effects of all of these things that our kids need. And you really have to be mindful of how you're addressing that with the mindset of, you know, what can we do to move them forward as quickly as we can and as slowly as we need to. Right. I think it's important to note that you may be a listener right now that's just beginning to work with an older student who's come to you with a lot of holes, some gaps in their learning. It's really important that we want to assess and find those areas of weakness. We we did mention this in, in episode four, and we do have to fill those holes in their all their phonological development in in their foundational skills that we're really lacking. We've got to fill that in because if we don't, then unfortunately, you're really not going to see the same progress or mastery that we would like to see. So once again, just want to remind everybody that yes, we do have to figure out where those weaknesses are still. Mm -hmm. It may even come back to certain letter recognition for some kids. It really, it's going to depend, as we always say, where these kids are, but you would be surprised that sometimes you still have kids who are older that still may struggle with just basic letter recognition. That is very true. And I think if we remember and we look back to, you know, the simple view of reading and we understand that we have these two different components, we have what falls under word recognition. And if we so in the simple view of reading, right, we have the word recognition right. times language comprehension. Then the product is 
reading comprehension. So when we have a deficit in any of these areas, it's going to impact our reading comprehension. But if we look at the lens of the word recognition piece, right, which yeah. is often where our students with dyslexia struggle, and we break that down within that grouping is phonological awareness, is word recognition to where students are reading automatically and accurately. Um, and is that phonological um, and phonemic awareness pieces. So we have, and that orthographic representation. So if we're looking at that, right, we can see, we need to dig down even with our older students and do an assessment on, you know, phonological awareness and phonemic awareness so that we can see how those are bridging into those. Right. And I just want to point out one thing to sort of just thinking of a book, if, you know, this episode's on older students, as we know, mm -hmm. we have people who may be listening who are even working with adults. And there is a book by Diana Hanbury King that I'd love mm -hmm. to throw out there. I love that and book. it's called It's Never Too Late. Yes. It's a short book. And Diana, oh my goodness, as, as really as unique and powerful and beautiful she as she was, has these lovely vignettes in there of, of students that she's worked with, but she also lays out how you can work with older students. And I think it really honors the fact that the Orton-Gillingham approach and methodology can work for so many people across grades and ages. So I just want to put that in there because she does mention um, a particular order that she would suggest mm -hmm. when she does work with much older people. So you may want to pick that book up. I think it's a useful resource, especially I if you're agree. working with older people. Yes, yeah. I absolutely agree. So if we're thinking right and we're addressing the phonology piece and we're doing it in a way that's really honoring the journey and the age of the students in front of us. Another piece we want to look at, and we're really rooting this in, you know, the principles of structured literacy. And so we know we need to address phonology. We also need to address those sound symbol correspondences, and we need to address syllable types because when we're talking about our older students, we really want to provide them with strategies to attack unknown words. And when we look at how we can use the syllable types and how we can teach students the syllable division patterns and to be flexible with those syllable division patterns, we're providing them with a strategy to attack words um, because oftentimes our older students will have gotten into a habit of either guessing based on the first letter or, you know, right. coming up with some other ways that are not necessarily benefiting them. Right. And Casey, I want to point out when we're teaching syllable types and syllable division, mm -hmm. we are really going through this in a very systematic way. We're teaching yeah. kids how to code, how to identify um, the different types of division. And I really do believe that by teaching the types in the syllable division is a metacognitive task. I agree. This is calling awareness to these words in a very structured way for a child or adult even who has dyslexia, they really do need this scaffolded, structured instruction. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's the same principle that we use with, you know, our young beginning readers too. We're laying strong foundational skills and each thing is built upon the previously learned concept. So we need to still solidify those with our students. And when we're working with older students, perhaps find, you know, where they may have those gaps and, and solidify those or fill them in, but we are still systematic. We're explicit. 
And we're really providing them with the strategies that they need to be able to unlock the reading code. Okay. So we just wanted to, because I know sometimes there may be some discussion about the use of syllable types in division and inappropriateness. When you try to remember that, and Casey has brought this up, that we're about people who have phonological deficit by teaching those syllable types in division we're also bringing to mind the fact that they do really need that added layer of instruction so that we can continue to strengthen and build and get those get that wiring really moving quickly in those brains much more efficiently so that's another reason so i really uh, in this whole online discussion out there of science of reading and structured literacy, I really feel like there is a lack of discussion about metacognition. And I believe that years ago, you know, when you're like early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, like there was a lot of discussion with metacognition as related to, you know, reading strategies. Right. And that whole discussion, you know, when several books came out then, but this is just so much more than than just talking about reading strategies. Yeah. So. We do have a whole episode on metacognition. Definitely one, that was from season one. So if you're wondering, yes. well, what does Casey and Emily think about metacognition <laughs> in terms of structured literacy? Definitely dig into that episode. Yes. I was going to just piggyback on that and say that, you know, the metacognition piece is yeah. for Emily and I on par with that academic piece. Yeah. We have to address that. And I find that working with my older students, the conversations that I can have surrounding metacognition and them getting like thinking about their thinking and, and really connecting it to the strategies where that we're using is really powerful. And they especially can really dive deep into conversations about this in meaningful ways that really bring them into their own learning. And that is something that we know is absolutely necessary for our students as they connect that then to their self-advocacy skills and beyond. So it is such an important piece. And we even teach our kids to be more metacognitive in their thinking and sharing. You're going to be so surprised with some of the mm-hmm. questions they come up for you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You'd be like, wait a minute. I need to check that and get back to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite things yeah. about working with the older kids. You right. Just have different conversations, like I love deeper it. conversations. So it's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. I do love that. That's one of my favorite things about working with older students as well. Okay. So we were talking about being systematic with our syllable instruction mm-hmm. so that we help are helping children to attack multisyllabic words because our kids who are older really still struggle with decoding multisyllabic words and being able to spell them effectively in their writing. So we do need systematic instruction there, mm-hmm. but we wanted to sort of get into a discussion of how we need to be a bit more flexible. There is a caveat to this. Yeah. And sometimes I see this discussion in Orton-Gillingham groups about like how to break certain words into syllables. Yeah. And here's the thing. Not every word uh, needs or has to be broken into syllables in order for us to help them to decode and code. This is where the discussion and need for morphology instruction, really strong morphology instruction has to come into play because certain words, if you break them apart by syllable, are going to pull away from their actual meanings. 
Yeah. And that's not okay when we're working with older students, particularly mm-hmm. because it's a fine balance with older students who also need really strong vocabulary instruction. Yes. So there is a balance between breaking words into syllables and teaching them that for the phonology, mm-hmm. but we have got to bridge into breaking words by down by morpheme as well. Right. And, and if we think about, and we remember that our language is morphophonemic. So that means, you know, morpho talking about the morphemes Mm -hmm. and phonemic talking about the sound. So we have a sound system within our language, but we also have a meaning system. And so we have to honor both of those as we go through this. And when we're talking about, I want to just go back just a minute. When we're talking about the syllable division, we also have to keep in mind that spoken syllable division can differ from written syllable division. Yes. And One of the things, you know, as I see, as Emily stated, you know, we often see these different conversations and I love that people want to know, you know, as educators, I think we want to know, like, what's the right way, (laughs) right? Um, But I want to keep in mind, what's our end goal for our students to have accurate and automatic word reading, right? And then to be fluent and to, to, so that they have that component so that we can become proficient readers and writers. So keeping the end goal in mind, I think is really important as well. And then when we're talking about that morphology, as Emily so beautifully stated, we have to teach that early. We have to teach explicitly, and we have to be very mindful of the role that that plays in decoding strategies. And yes, when, when we are looking at morphology, I, for word attack strategies, I always ask my kids the first thing that they're going to look for. Do we have any prefixes or suffixes? Take those Mm -hmm. off. Pull those away. Yeah. Pull those away. And then you can work with either your base word or your roots or your combining forms. Um, It's getting them to look for those morphemes, those smallest units of meaning, pull those out. Those already have a connection, a meaning for them that they have unitized. So getting them to pull those away and then they can work it within, you know, starting from the outside and working it. Right. If that makes sense, but yeah. And Within that discussion of morphology, let's keep in mind this this is not only going to aid them with their decoding and encoding, it's going to aid them in their vocabulary because Absolutely. we can teach them so many, many variations and related words when we're teaching just maybe one morpheme or one particular suffix. We can build on that gosh, it it's almost feels like exponentially sometimes when you think about all the different ways that words can be built. So yeah. using things like word matrices and yeah. building words that way, those are all very valuable morphology tools and strategies that we do want to incorporate that will absolutely help them. The yeah. other thing that as we talk more about spelling, children mm-hmm. really do need to, I think, build some mastery in a couple of things. They have to build mastery in their suffixing rules. Yeah. That means doubling rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's part one and part two to that. Yeah. <laughs> part one's easier. Mm-hmm. Part one is, makes me a little sweaty sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, change Y to I. Yeah. Okay. Changing so, rule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our changing rule and our E drop rule. Yep. Because those suffixing rules come up so, so often in our English language. 
it serves us well to really build mastery because they're going to come up again and again and again in so many words. So yeah. our, especially with our older students, we want to really, really make sure they've got that down. We do, especially because, you know, our older students, they're, they're ma- primarily working with multisyllabic words. And if we think about the amount of vocabulary that they come across in their content areas, um, if we can help them pull those morphemes out, understand the meaning behind them, that's going to aid them in their science class and their social studies class and their chemistry class, biology class. We are setting them up to be successful beyond just their English language arts class. Absolutely. And we know like these older students are not just with you all day long. They're, as Casey said, they have multiple subjects. And wouldn't it be really, really lovely if all of our all the teachers working with older students were aware of this and did take maybe the beginning of class to front load these vocabulary words using this morphology instruction, maybe for just a couple of maybe Latin roots or Greek forms or something to, like I said, to front load, to give them some exposure at the beginning. This is good teaching for everyone and really for every subject. Yes. And I will say, you know, when I see vocabulary lists come home and it's like, look them up in the dictionary or here's the Mm. definition and they just have to memorize them. How much more powerful is it if we just pause and think about how, what role morphology is playing in these and how we can help students really gain a better understanding of our written and oral language when we pull these apart in more meaningful ways than just trying to have students memorize things. Right. Casey, I know I see these random vocabulary lists come home for homework. They Mm -hmm. really aren't connected in any way. There is no common theme to them. It's just some, you know, random list of 15 to 20 vocabulary words. When we can thoughtfully plan out yeah. Uh, our vocabulary instruction, you know, by morphemes, maybe by, uh, maybe one lesson is just prefixes for not, but just really being careful with the way we are thinking about our vocabulary list so that it's always building, always growing. And, but also incorporating, making sure we've got those suffixing rules in there just yeah. to sort of back up a, a teensy bit. Maybe we should have put this earlier <laughs> in our list of recommendations, but we really believe that in addition to everything we've talked about with word attack, that teaching the spelling generalizations mm-hmm. is so, so critical. Starting really from an early age, we're just talking about the older students. I mean, you can start with something as simple as using K or CK with younger students very early on. But when we teach these spelling generalizations, we help our students think that, yes, there is some reliability because our language is, is reliable. If you understand the, you know, the orthography, if you understand the system behind it. And I think I know for myself, when I first started teaching, I didn't know those rules. So very overwhelming. And I was like, I don't know. We just have to memorize those, I guess. Cause I didn't know. And as you know, through my journey, um, in the Orton Gillingham path, I I've found like to me, they're fascinating. I love learning about the rules and they make so much sense. So if we can, you know, find ways to, to educate ourselves, and there's a lot of different resources out there to do so, but to understand that there is this reliability. And when, when students ask questions about, you know, maybe perhaps those outliers, those words that are not following the spelling generalization, those are beautiful conversations about 
the richness and the vocabulary and the language and the written system within the English language for us to really get them to be aware of the depth of the English language. And so I think there's a lot of ways we can honor the students while still addressing their specific needs. And I know for myself and Emily, maybe this is for you as well, but my older students have a lot of gaps in Mm -hmm. their spelling. Mm -hmm. They are not solid in those spelling generalizations. So we, we go back and we really solidify those so that they have a clear understanding because one of the biggest hiccups when we get into writing and, and we'll have a whole episode on writing, but is spelling becomes a hindrance because it it adds to the cognitive overload when they're trying to remember how to spell a word. Vocabulary becomes a hindrance and also handwriting. Like I really want to do an episode on handwriting, but. Oh, we could do that. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. You know, when we talk about writing, that is one of the most heavy um, cognitive demands that we put on students. And if we haven't set them up with breaking down the language and breaking down the spelling and and all of these pieces, it's very overwhelming for our kids. And so their, their output does not always match. um, Their written output does not always match their oral output. Right. You raised a couple of good points just to backtrack a tiny bit. I never learned those spelling generalizations (laughs) when I was trained to be teacher. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I went into Orton Gillingham training that I learned. I'm like, wait a minute, what? I've been teaching like for how many years? And I didn't, you know, it didn't take this time to teach my students what these spelling generalizations were. Oh my goodness. Had I known, right. Like you get into one of those moments where like, wow. Oh, and I mean, and then, you know, with empowering students, for instance, like, why isn't there a double S at the end of a word like gas? Well, because it's short for gasoline. (laughs) So, but just having those rich discussions with students when we're teaching spelling, spelling generalizations and in words that may not follow within that generalized we don't really call it a rule. That's why we call it a generalization. But when the words don't, you know, while we can dig deeper into maybe a morphological reason, I think it's just so, so powerful. I think spelling really builds on their curiosity, like a child's natural curiosity when they start to wonder about words. It does. So cool. Absolutely. We just wanted to make sure that we were addressing spelling generalizations. So when we think Mm -hmm. about, you know, our syllable type, syllable division, our spelling generalizations or morphology. These are really like the big heavy hitters that we want to really, and I, this is something that you're going to notice <laughs> when you teach spelling generalizations, you're going to see some glaring gaps pop up in there yeah, in their phonology. And you're going to be like, Ooh, this mm-hmm. child still doesn't quite have this down. I need to backtrack a little bit. I promise you, you're going to see that happen. Yeah. So just really, really be careful with that. And it's okay to have to go back and do teaching slash reteaching of those skills to make sure that you can progress them forward. Yeah. Okay. And you can really look at, at their writing and their spelling as kind of a window into their phonology and, and into their knowledge about our sound, our sound uh, symbol system. So it's really powerful to kind of look at it through that, through that lens of using what they've, what they've written down and then looking at for through phonology, or even looking at per, perhaps with the lens of morphology, like where are they having their morphology gaps or where are they having their spelling generalization gaps and kind of look at their writing systems through different lenses to help drive your instruction. Right. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Writing is such a big window into all of that learning. So now our students obviously need our, their content vocabulary really in a structured approach. And so, as I had mentioned before, using like a front loading strategy where we are incorporating maybe the morphology aspects of the word. So breaking them down by morphine, but also looking at the orthographical representations and also the phonology of them so that they have their pronunciations down as well. So if we are thinking about it from that perspective, yes, if each content area teacher could maybe pull out just small portion of their lesson, like today we're going to be, you know, if it's a geometry lesson, you may be building in some Greek roots there, but just being very, very careful and knowing that this is not only going to benefit my kids who struggle with reading and writing, but it's going to benefit everyone. It's going to build their deeper meaning, greater utility, and their overall comprehension. We want by teaching those vocab strategies really to increase their utility. Are they able to not only explain what they mean, but can they use them? Yeah. And Emily did a beautiful job bridging into that importance, right? Into those academic impacts, the academic language that our students need. And just remembering that dyslexia impacts beyond our reading and English language arts classes. And this is especially true for our older students. Yeah. I think this takes like whole school discussions and professional development Mm -hmm. in vocabulary instruction and academic um, words and content, you know, content area instruction and and what that should look like. Are there some things that, you know, all teachers agree that students need and benefit from and front-loading vocabulary is absolutely one of those things that your students will benefit from. And imagine the connections that they will make if they do happen to see that same same vocab words coming up maybe in other history classes or things like that can be really powerful and really solidifying their understandings of words. So yeah, we had talked about how really we want to make sure that we are not only really mindful of this fine balance between the students' individual needs, but let's talk about, let's remind everybody again that whatever class they're in, there are students in there that are not only going to benefit from it, but our dyslexic students are going to need it even more. And I know we're getting ready to wrap up here, but I wanted to piggyback in with that and that a lot of our students, you know, looking at those accommodations and looking at what their accommodations are across the board. Mm -hmm. And while a lot of students may have accommodations that are, you know, general best practices, we really want to be mindful of how it is what that's going to look like in each of the classes. And as Emily said, you know, perhaps having some school-wide conversations about what that looks like. And I know in season one, we did a whole episode on accommodations. So that's worth a listen if that's something of interest to you. But those accommodations for our older students really do become lifelines for them. Yep. And just keep in mind, these are their tools in their toolkit to help them be successful. We'll be addressing how this all comes into play when we get into writing in the episode that we do on helping older students with writing. We wanted to end with some of the resources that we did mention this in episode four, but let's just bring them up again, especially since we're talking about word attack and so forth. So we want to mention a few decodables for older students. We had brought up High Noon Publishers. Mm -hmm. We had talked about Saddleback Publishing. We had talked about 
phonic books. Those are three. Oh, also, I, I don't know if I mentioned this one, but simple words, chapter books for some, some students really is another good one. Casey, did yeah. I miss any? Yeah. No, I think okay. those are kind of the big ones. And then yeah. remembering, you know, to use those mindfully as stepping stones to get the students reading. And once we hit those multisyllabic words, finding ways to really connect with the content area text is, is really yeah. important for our students as well. Yeah. And, you know, finding short passages for content area reading is definitely appropriate. So you don't feel like you always be sticking with decodable text, but going to a site like ReadWorks where you can find those shorter, like one page hits on particular content area is going to be very, very beneficial for your older students. I use ReadWorks quite a bit with my older students. I don't know about you, Casey, but I find that to be just a really nice bridge. I do. And I'll, I'll yeah. pull ReadWorks. Sometimes I'll just pull different passages. Even if I have to drop down yeah. to grade level, yeah. I still want my students to begin bridging into the academic language and the, that those shorter passages to get them that exposure to the vocabulary, to those multisyllabic words, because that's our goal, right? And we know that when we're working with older students, with all of our students, but particularly with our older students, right? There's this sense of urgency. We really want to be working as quickly as we can and as slowly as we need to, to get them into their grade level text as we're closing that gap. Another one that I like, and I don't know if you've used this one, but Anita Archer, who is like the guru of... (laughs) direct, direct instruction and explicit instruction. She has a program called rewards. And I've used that for the last, I don't know, 10 plus years with students. It's, it has some passages in it as they progress throughout building their decoding strategies, working with multisyllabic words, it builds in morphology. So that's another resource that's often used with older students. And then I just saw there is a new It's called Word Connections out of the University of Texas that just came out actually yesterday. And it's a free download and that's all about multisyllabic word reading as well. So I'll, I'll get you guys the link and put that in there as well. That's great. And I like mega words for teaching the different syllable types with my older students and syllable division, but I really think they do an, an excellent job with teaching the different accent, accented and unaccented syllables, schwa and so forth. Like as we get into more complex decoding, I think mega words is great. And yeah. then Casey, you're trained with take flight and you talk a little bit about that. I am trained with take flight. Um, and that is really a comprehensive program it was designed through the Scottish Rite Hospital in Dallas for students from second grade and beyond all the way through adult and specifically designed for students with dyslexia. And it, so it really does hit all of those, those pieces that we know are necessary. And so there's a lot of different Martin Gillingham-based programs available as well, but that's the one that I use as a therapeutic model. Excellent. Okay. So uh, next time we'll talk about writing. So for, with our older students, so this is like bring, synthesizing, bring everything together. This, these episodes have been pretty meaty. So definitely if you have like pen and paper nearby, you want to jot down things that really resonated with you. Uh, maybe any questions that you have so that we can maybe address them in f- future episodes. So feel free to do that. Casey and I, were just going to wrap this up just as friendly reminders that uh, she and I have our, do have resources for you. And so if you are looking for things, perhaps for older students or for really for anybody that really needs reading intervention, then we want to just give you, give us a little shout out here for our stores. So Casey, take it away. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I know that, yeah, Emily and I both have shops on teacher pay teachers and my shop is called the dyslexic classroom. And I really specialize in providing those scaffolds for students, um, particularly those with dyslexia or those struggling, but it's really focused on bridging the research into practice. Okay. And my store is Emily Gibbons, the literacy nest on teacher pay teacher. And you'll find, I do have quite a few uh, decodable passages on there, but I have white a few resources if you are looking specifically for working with older students. Some of the more advanced concepts, if you're looking for that, a lot of morphology. Mm -hmm. So definitely check that out. But I think between the two of us, you're absolutely going to find what you need to work uh, (laughs) with your older students. So we so appreciate if you uh, check out our stories, let us know if you have any questions. We, We really just love the support. So we will see you next time. Please keep in mind, you can go to togetherinliteracy.com. We've got our blog posts there. So show notes. Every time you look at a blog post, we link things. We may even have a little freebie in there. And as always, please uh, leave us a review and a rating if you really have found these episodes to be beneficial. All right. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.